Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Talent Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Head of Growth, Nikki Patterson, and I'm very pleased to invite Anthony Parker, GM and VP of Sales for My Tickle in EMEA. Anthony, thank you very much for joining us today. No problem, Nikki. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Anthony and I caught up quite a bit during the during the pandemic. You know, I myself obviously growing and scaling a sales organization here for us at Solutions Driven and Anthony's words of wisdom over the, the last couple of years have been have been great as he's been doing doing the same thing. So really excited for this today. As always, we try to have, you know, a, a rough agenda. And today, you know, really keen to understand a little bit more about Anthony, a little bit more about Mind Tickle and I guess the purpose and the vision. Um, obviously, we're really keen to understand, you know, how you assess talent, uh, your hiring, you know, can you share some tips with us on the hiring and recruitment side, but also, you know, the current landscape when it comes to sales readiness, sales enablement, the differences uh, and the future of, of, of that. Uh, and, and maybe touch on, I guess, the coaching element of that too, because I know that's something that you're massively passionate about, yeah. and and of course is is a key value of of Mind Tickle. Perfect. So, I mean, you you've had an interesting career, Anthony, to get to where 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 you've got to. Um, can you give us a a very brief uh, history of of your career today? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... I'm, uh, uh, to start where I start where I where I am currently, I'm GM as you, and, and VP of Sales at MindTickle. But if we rewind twenty years, maybe not quite twenty, but nearly uh, twenty years, I've always worked at either fast-growing startups, although I didn't, they weren't called startups back then; they were just new companies. Or I've worked for really large US organisations, so the likes of Verizon, Oracle. Um, and, and I've also worked for, uh, for Siemens as well uh, uh, back, back in the day. And, yep. and most, most recently, I've, I've been working in startups in the sales enablement and sales tech space, which is really where in the last sort of six years, I found my passion. I actually, to be honest, really started enjoying the craft of sales coming into this industry. Whereas before, if I look back and reflect, whilst I had success, I was I didn't hadn't really found my passion. It was more I was just doing I was doing a job, I was yeah. being successful, but I didn't really find that thing that I was passionate about. And and when you find it, you you think, oh, I wish I'd have found that earlier. But I know that lots of people go throughout their entire career without finding something that they actually enjoy and are genuinely passionate about. And for me, it's both helping sales individuals and organizations be more effective whether i'm doing that in my role working for a company or yep. with the technology and solutions we provide but also coaching and developing salespeople and and others within that organization is a is a, is a passion um of mine and it is something that has really helped me it's helped me outside of of the day job because i yep. work also work for replays.com um, which is a, a coaching organization based out of the US, but they're providing coaching to AEs at some of the fastest growing organizations who don't necessarily have the infrastructure and the expertise in-house initially to do that yeah. coaching. So I work for them as well. So a bit of a potted history there, but yeah, definitely I would say I've, I've found my passion. I've found where I feel really comfortable 
and there and there's there's a there's a power in that versus yeah. just doing a job and and similar to you you know for me i almost fell into this role in, in many ways timing opportune opportunistic moment you know when i speak to a lot of salespeople uh, recently that you know a lot of them didn't come out of college planning to be an sdr or planning to be an ae and and certainly not maybe thinking of i'll be an sdr an ae a sales director a vp of sales and and i think what we're seeing now over the last 10 years is like you say that startup boom that scale up boom but also people start to take different paths in different directions and you know sales readiness sales enablement was not something i heard at all you know 10 years ago but it absolutely makes sense um you know just to touch on the i guess the early career i mean working for the likes of you know verizon or, or oracle are very different you know you not necessarily a number right but you're part of a huge brand a huge value proposition yeah how do you how do you feel now in, in main tackle versus for example being at oracle yeah, I, I I didn't know it at the time, and I'm, I've got I've got friends still at Oracle and uh, Verizon um, and Siemens, but I wasn't built for that environment. I was in that environment, and I was there. I had, had levels of success as a, as an individual contributor, yeah, but yeah. it wasn't until I came out of that. So I started off in startups, working working for companies that ultimately became what is Telstra today. So way back in the day, where yeah. I was selling. This is going to age me. I didn't. Um, I didn't think you looked that old, Anthony. Exactly. Exactly. Pre pre internet, but I was selling um, internet connections for companies for the first time. So I remember one of the deals that we did were like, do you remember? E I don't know. Easy Jet had Easy Caffs, or um, which was basically internet caffs. So it wasn't actually me, but my colleagues were selling two meg, two meg. Can you imagine that now? <laughs> two meg internet connections into Easy Jet. So. The, oh, I was started off in those sort of startup environments, but didn't really know it as a startup. It was just a, an early job that I had. Um, and then as I found my way through those acquisitions of what was UUNet into what became Verizon through MCI Worldcom, found myself in a massive US organization without, not by design, just, just I happened to be in there. But I wasn't I, I enjoyed my time there, but there wasn't, I wasn't, didn't have any passion about internet connect, uh, connections um, or, or voice calls. It was just, I was, I was actually just selling stuff. Um, and, and I think certainly when I came into Oracle, Oracle is a really highly competitive environment, um, which is great. It's also an environment where there is that feeling of, of, of more of a number than belonging to something that you can yep. really impact because there's so many levels, obviously, even as a, even as a frontline manager, or as a second line manager in Oracle, there's only so much you can control. Yep. Um, but let's be honest, it's a money-making machine. It works. They, they are going from strength to strength. There's not a criticism there. Yep. It's just, I didn't, I didn't really realize that that wasn't my thing until I came out of that and went into sort of startups about six, seven years ago again, after yep. a 15 year break. And then I realized, hold on, this is where I could actually have value. This is where I can do far more. And anything that I do that is positive and good has more of an impact and is felt more deeply by that organization yep. versus what happens in these massive organization uh, or large organizations 
And that doesn't mean that everyone should be looking to do that. Yeah. But it certainly means that for me, I need to be in somewhere where what I'm doing, I can feel that is actually having an impact. And it is also a passion. So I think you've hit the nail on, on the head here as well. You know, there's no doubt there are a lot of people currently evaluating their current role. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people also happy to have a role, but that more people than ever are curious to see what's out there. Is the grass greener? Can I capitalize on, on it being a candidate-driven market? For me, people look for a new role when they feel they are not making an impact or not being allowed to make an impact. And, and that is kind of a, the number one reason we are seeing as a global international, you know, international recruitment company of why people will move. You know, they have no autonomy. They have no guidance. They're not being coached. And they're also not, you know, either the, what, what they are selling, the product or solution isn't making the impact or they themselves are not, are not making an impact. I mean, I myself could not sell the same thing and just have the same demo call every day. No. You know, I'm, I would get bored of that. No disrespect to that. There's lots of money to be made at that. And there are people that can learn the product and deliver it time and time again. But what I was going to ask you then was, what was that aha moment for you where you went, I have a passion for this? I, I wish I could say I was that um, strategic and, and it was a decision. It was just, it just happened that I'd, I'd reached my end of my time at Oracle. When you're in large organisations, you'll know this being in recruitment, successful individual contri contributors at large organisations, when they come to the end of the year, they then have that decision. Do I want to do this again? Because you, you have to be fully committed in, in those roles. And do I want to do this for another 12 months? And essentially you are committing to another 12 months in that role because of the way that, that, that working in those organizations happened. So yeah, yeah. I'd reached that point. Um, and, and I just thought, I, 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 I fancy something new and I fancy something that's going to see me doing more than just as an individual contributor so going into somewhere proving myself and then also taking on more of a what was an early stage of a leadership role um i joined a company called qstream which are still around it's a, a niche provider of space learning which actually mindtickle incorporates into our platform as well but yep. going there allowed me to then see have far more control over what I was doing as an individual contributor, but also start seeing how I could impact other departments, how I could then start getting closer to product marketing, mm -hmm. also starting that, that early stage of coaching. And I just realized it, it, I was waking up and, and in a positive way, thinking about, thinking about work, thinking about new things, almost takes me back to my early sporting days where it was almost like a, it, it's a passion. It's something, so if I'm walking the dog, I'll listen to podcasts. I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I enjoy it. Yeah. And and that start, then I started thinking, wow, I'm actually enjoying myself here. I'm actually, there's a passion. Yes, there's money at the end of it, but it's yeah. a bit like a game of poker. It's just the money is just showing you if you're doing well or not. That's just, that's just a byproduct. But what I'm actually enjoying is feeling like I'm not working. I'm actually doing something that I, I genuinely enjoy. And then started realizing that through that, that could actually lead itself into more of what I really like, which is helping people get better, coach, improve, and showing how much people can actually improve in a really short period of time, because that's, that's genuinely something that I really enjoy doing. I think I've seen, you know, I've always been a person similar to yourself who 
wants to better myself yeah. and, and listens to a podcast, joins a webinar, asks for support, networks with people more experienced th than myself. But I've noticed in the last couple of years a big shift in that. Now, not everybody can host a podcast or a webinar but or and be successful at it. Yeah. But also, there's a great deal of respect to me that goes out to the SDRs, you know, learning their craft and and really trying to 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 better themselves rather than just clock in, hit a number and 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 clock out. I think the ones that commit to something like that are the ones that are going to going to succeed. I think mm -hmm. as well what we've noticed is it's not always the top rep that is the best manager or most suited to to leadership. And often that can be the person that's worst at that. Um, you know, as you moved from that sort of an A role or, or more sales role into the leadership role, what was the toughest part for you? Um, I think, and I'll I'll only do one sporting analogy because people get, <laughs> but um, Glenn Hoddle, when he was manager uh, um, of England, there's there's lots of stories of of him. Um, of how he was around the players. But one of the stories that always stuck in my mind was once he got uh, Scholes and Beckham were around and he started doing flick uh, kick-ups in front of them and that volleyed it, almost like showing off what he could do. Um, and one of the things from my perspective was if, if that's... I don't want to be the best at anything in, in, in the organisation, certainly in the team. I don't want to have the most knowledge. I don't want to be the best at anything because if I am it means that my abilities as a leader and as a coach and as somebody who's developing are flawed because over time, everyone in my team will be, and, and, and are on the, on the way already, have been better than me in every single area. Now, there's areas where I can still help with creativity and, and um, getting deeper into certain skills like discovery, for example. Yeah. But ultimately, I, 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 what I found hardest initially was that temptation to take over. Um, and and I think the one of the reasons that and this doesn't apply to me, I, I, I don't believe anyway, is that sometimes the best reps who were promoted were also lone wolves. Um, and that is not somebody who lends themselves well to becoming a team, a team leader, a manager, whatever the title is going to be. But somebody who's managing and coaching people because yeah. they don't have the traits of somebody who wants other people to succeed. They don't get um, joy out of creating, I'll do another analogy, creating chances. They want to be the one who puts it in the back of the net. So there are people yeah. that don't lend themselves to that. I've always felt a, a bit of both. I, I'm happy to be an individual contributor. I know that if whatever reason, a couple of years, I, I'm thrown back into that, I can do that. But I actually, my passion and, and, and my fo focus and energy is on helping more people, scaling yeah that and helping to coach and, and and hopefully get people better than they were every, every certainly every month i'm not gonna say every day because let's be honest but on a monthly basis and certainly over a period of six months what i love is people saying to me if i look back to where i was six months ago it's like night and day yeah and that's what i enjoy i think when you're passionate about something and you're going towards that that goal six months can go by very quickly at times uh, as, as well. I think that's one thing. I mean, we said ourselves, you know, when was the last time we spoke? God, it was so many months ago, exactly. you know, and you, but then you actually look at what, what you've accomplished in, in that time. I mean, myself, I think hired six into the kind of a sales organization. I think you've 
I have now, what, 10, 12 or so? Yeah, we're up to 12 direct employees here, then over 20 if you include um, outside of the region as well. So, yeah, tw up to 12 now. Awesome. And, and in terms of mine tickle, you know, could you give a, a what's your helicopter picture one minute on mine tickle? Yeah, I think that it's, it's becoming more difficult because things are are growing all, all the time within MindTicker, which is a, a challenge, but also a real positive for us. So we start, MindTicker started off originally um, um, focusing on sales enablement. Mm -hmm. So sales enablement, as I think we were discussing earlier, is not a term that's existed for that long. It used to be sales training. It used to be sort of buried into L&D HR, but has become yep. its own um, own area for at least, I think, a decade, probably more. But certainly in Europe, where we're lagging behind the US by a couple of years, it's becoming most organizations now have sales enablement functions. Yep. What MindTickle provides, and this is not the helicopter, otherwise this is going to be, it's going to be a helicopter <laughs> ride rather than an, an elevator. Just the Grand Canyon. Exactly. And we're going to be leaving London to go there by this rate. But um, so what Mindtickle started off as was a, a platform to help sales enablement uh, people who were doing training um, outside of it, like Zoom or in person. We everyone knows that any tr form of training in any capacity, especially when you're transferring knowledge, if you do it once and then forget it, it fails. Yeah. Everyone knows it. Everyone still burns billions of dollars a year doing it. But what MindTickle allows is the reinforcement and the embedding of the key concepts from that over time in a way that isn't annoying to salespeople. Yeah. And it also allows sales enablement people to measure and manage and quantify the impact they are having on revenue. Because that's the difference between a sales trainer or whatever there was before connected to L&D and HR and what is now sales enablement, and we're probably on yeah. the third iteration of that, is that it's not about ticking boxes. It's not about smiley faces. It's about what outcomes are we driving and what revenue are we producing. Yeah. And so that's the sales enablement element. What we've done as Mindtickle um, is we're now sort of going above that into what we call sales readiness. So sales readiness has a sales enablement component, mm -hmm. but it also has that conversation intelligence component where we're talking about Zoom calls, Teams calls, whatever being recorded, but also providing insights to sales leaders without them needing to listen to whole calls. So they're getting real snippets. Exactly. And, and, and it's coming from AI, so they know where to focus. So that's the second part. So under sales readiness, we have sales enablement, conversation intelligence and then we also have the content element which is how can we make sure that if we change something in salesforce yeah that specific piece of content which is going to help the individual either learn more or know more or also send and track and and, and all of that good stuff out to their to their prospect so yeah. sales readiness is the overall banner that those elements come under but mm -hmm. it, what hasn't changed is that MindTickle is really laser focused on the outcomes of these programs and initiatives and the revenue impact versus smiley faces and ticking boxes because nothing kills salespeople's energy enthusiasm than just feeling like they're doing training for training's sake so somebody can tick a box 
and then come back next month and do the same again. Yeah, I mean, I think we, we do a lot of hiring in, on, on the sales side. Obviously, I've been a salesperson my, myself. And, you know, the things that you, you're always trying to avoid is, is admin, yeah. you know, or tra- I guess training sometimes can be a, a tick box exercise. I, I cannot, I won't name names, but, you know, your first two weeks, the, the independent coach comes in, the consultant, the sales trainer, you tick that off and you move on. The, the sales director just can't wait for you to get out that course to go in and, and start creating opportunities um, because you're one step closer to him hitting his bonus or her hitting her bonus, et cetera. And, you know, I think now more than ever, the key is having good salespeople, but it's having good sales enablement. Yes. Um, I think that one team approach is becoming more the norm. You know, it's something that we are absolutely doing at Solution Driven in terms of marketing enablement sales in its different forms and you know the delivery through to customer experience because if any part of that journey breaks down everyone suffers absolutely and if you're just that lone wolf something will fall down something will fall down somewhere eventually and you know so we we ourselves at solution driven have right now it's a one person enablement function but it's a function i can absolutely see growing because you know turning content to, to collateral, training, onboarding, uh, helping people enjoy their jobs, you know, finding out what people have a passion for because our enablement lead came from, from the sales site. And, you know, it was only hopefully through good coaching and, and, and a one-to-one that we realized that that opportunity was perfect for that person. And now that person being enrolled for, for 10, 11 months, it absolutely was, was right. So let me... Maybe let me skip forward a little bit then and then go back. Sales readiness. What do you see as the future of that category, if you will? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one because what we're seeing now in this space is a lot of consolidation. It, it, if you look at where we were three or four years ago, if we look at what sales enablement, sales readiness tools there were, there were dozens of them. If not, yep. if not hundreds. And what we're seeing now is a consolidation. So there's lots of companies merging. There's lots of acquisitions. There's lots yep. of, which is great because all of these, act, I'm sure for you, when you're seeing these companies merging, companies growing, there's a lot of growth in in, in this space. Yep. Um, and I think what is naturally happening now is as we, companies like ourselves who are, are talking at that, I, well, I keep saying sales readiness and sales enablement, but the fact is what it should be this doesn't revenue revenue readiness doesn't sound as good as sales readiness, but essentially it is revenue because it's not just about the new business salespeople. It's not just about account managers if they still have, still have them. It's about client success. It's yeah. about all areas that bring in or protect and grow revenue uh, revenue a part of that of that banner. So I think there's all that shift has already happened. Yeah, there's always the US are probably a couple of years ahead of of the UK and Europe. But revenue enablement is becoming more of a common uh, job title, global yeah. head of revenue enablement. So I think from from that perspective, there's a recognition like sales ops. You could sales ops. Um, there's, there's probably still more sales ops people than there are revenue ops. But I don't. Yeah. We're seeing that trend. We're seeing people moving to that revenue conversation, and I think sales readiness um, is part of that because what we're looking to do. As, as an organization and what we're talking about is aligning anything that happens to revenue producers 
salespeople, client success, etc. Anything that people are doing needs to be measurable. And at the end of it, we need to be able to articulate the outcomes of that. Because if yeah. we're not, we'll waste, everyone's too busy. Everyone's on too many meetings. So if we are taking them away from their day job and we are training, coaching, enabling, whatever we want to call it, and it's not having an impact on revenue, it's, it's largely a waste of time because anything that people are doing that is development-based has to have an, an outcome that can be measured at some point in yeah. revenue. And I think that's the biggest shift. And we're, we, are, we are 18 months behind um, to two years behind the US, but, but the, it's something that everyone has to get, get on board with because they're going to get left behind. That's like com conversation intelligence. Yeah. Two years ago, everyone was talking, oh, is it Big Brother? Is it something that my team are going to hate it? Now, it's, we're not there yet here, but we are there in the US where it's actually almost, you don't have it. What do you expect your salespeople to do? Take in, entire notes and write down and start highlighting? It's becoming old-fashioned if you don't have conversation intelligence. And it's becoming yeah. like... So I think that's that, that whole shift is already happening and we're already seeing companies that are going to get left behind because the people there don't recognise that. I mean, I remember starting other roles and you sit around waiting on one of the top salespeople getting a call that you can join that yeah. is really them just, you know, scoring the, 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 the final goal, you know, doing the, putting the final icing on, on the cake. Whereas now there are lots of tools out there and, you know, for example, on this call, I had a Slack message from someone that started a week ago saying, I've just, that's me done, listened into those three calls. You know, amazing to, to hear it from the different people, but common theme there uh, of what we do and portraying the, the USPs or the value proposition across. That could take so much time. So, you know, um, ramping quicker, learning faster, failing faster, asking sillier questions earlier. These are all for me, amazing things early in anyone's journey uh, in, in a company. Absolutely. And I think that it's called conversation intelligence. It makes it sound more grandiose than it needs to be. It's essentially a way of scaling competence versus, to your point, joining a company. If the, the top rep will actually go, go and have a ride along with them or listen in, and most of them don't, if they do, you're going to get something out of context probably relate highly revenue uh, relationship based yeah uh, and and you're thinking well i can't do that because i a, i don't know all of that stuff i've got none of that context i haven't got that that's six yeah. years worth of relationships that ended in that closing call whereas yeah. now we've i've got um I, as part of my role i'm onboarding and developing and coaching bdrs so having them listen to the best and the worst examples of how to approach this what is actually coming back in reality and creating those playlists yeah. of those different themes is, is really powerful and helps people accelerate a lot more quickly and also get coaching. I don't do all the coaching in our team. So the BDRs, I do a lot of the initial stuff, but the ongoing um, coaching is actually done by other AEs, by AEs. Ah, so okay. the BDRs will actually share their calls. With each other yeah. almost. Yeah, exactly. So the the AE who who the AEs who benefit from the BDRs calls are actually giving them feedback on their calls. So it, that also then creates a coaching culture, and ben and also scale. I can't scale myself. I can scale the team and that culture. 
So again, and that takes me on. I mean, listen, I think anybody that knows you sees the the gifts, the LinkedIn posts, and 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 probably I would say in my top three um people to follow on a on a Friday when 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 you're posting, right? And and lots of lots of fun in there. You know, so I can imagine people like to work for you as well, but it's that almost enablement to grow themselves. Yeah. You know, and, and the autonomy to to grow themselves. I think one thing you mentioned earlier, moving into that leadership position, it's all too easy for someone to say, there's the answer. Mm-hmm. I will do that. So so let's give the listeners, I guess, a little bit of a a little bit of tips then. I mean, in terms of in terms of that culture of coaching, it's easy to talk about, but very difficult to implement. Yep. So uh, do you have any any tips, one or two things that can start to get a culture like that? Yeah, and I think it is very easy to talk about. It's a bit like other things like diversity and customer centricity. It's These are things that are so easy to talk about. You can stick a poster up in your wall, but it's actually how how do you actually do it? And I think one of the challenges is for frontline managers is they're not they're not trained on how to they're not trained on how to coach. So I would say some quick tips would be to there's a crawl walk run scenario. The run scenario we're not going to cover on this podcast, and and most most companies are not even going to get to that scenario. So let's start with the crawl, and yep. it's how do we move away as a frontline manager, regardless whether you've got the sales enablement team and the support and the infrastructure in place, regardless of that, how do we move away from just deal coaching? Because that's, yeah. or forecasting and then coaching, or or how do we move away from that and into something that's a bit more meaningful on that first ladder? And for me, that is skills coaching. And and the most, if you're, if you're a manager who deeply understands discovery, or maybe a methodology like MedPick. Yeah. Lots of people don't deeply understand discovery, and, and even more people don't deeply understand MedPick. They maybe read a book once, put it on the shelf, and then say that they're MedPick trained. But if if you're going to be as a frontline manager, you need to be, you need to have a deep understanding of one part of that sales process. Discovery is the best one. It's also yep. the most difficult, and then start to look to coach little and often into that process scale it um, and i would say that focusing on something like that moves you automatically away from all right whenever i speak to my manager i'm getting is it coaching but deal deal feedback so let's move away from that and start focusing on skills and then really trying to identify which of those individuals in your team are stronger than the others at one aspect and start making them the coach start helping getting them to help so then you start scaling and you start moving yourself away from being the expert because no manager really is and you start leaning on your team to focus on those specific areas that you're finding out through your skill coaching what they excel in because everyone loves everyone likes to actually help each other it's just if you ask somebody who doesn't have those skills to go and help your scaling incompetence. So I would say frontline managers focus on the skill, start very narrow. And then as you start finding people that are naturally good at it or getting it and improving, start having them help scaling others. That. I think the discovery is a, a, a key part, right? Because yeah. it's the it's the early part of the process. If you're getting the discovery wrong, chances are you're getting a lot of other things wrong yeah. as well. Um, so really, really good point. You know, 
What's your favourite discovery question? <laughs> good question. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question in itself. Actually, for us, it's, it's one that we went back and forward on, um, and it's not going to sound that, it's not that exciting or mind-blowing, to be honest, but it's, um, it's when you've got somebody on, so let, it doesn't have to be sales enablement. I'll use sales enablement as an example, yeah. but asking that person, so let's say you're the sales enablement person, we've done a bit of upfront, and they're saying, so Nikki, tell me, what does sales enablement mean to you? And then just shutting up and you get so much back from that. It's, it's, so you can use that for any job. What, but, but with sales enablement, you really get an insight into how that person thinks, how yeah. they see sales. And, and it's, a, it's a question that we had some resistance from AEs initially about asking, but it, it definitely pays off. And, and it, it pays off if you shut up after I haven't. But after asking it, if you shut up, you get some gold back. And, and that's something I've really had to learn myself. It's very difficult for me to say to my team, talk less, ask more questions when I have the highest talk time, or I guess, on, on, on the team. Um, but again, it's, it's constantly about improving. I think the, the, there's the tick box element of a discovery and yeah. there's the genuine caring. Now, can I ask you, go, go really all the way back and ask you a question that, that that, that I guess I've seen mentioned a couple of times on Pavilion or, or, or LinkedIn. Yeah. Do you need to believe in your product or solution to be passionate about selling it? So I, I saw some of this on LinkedIn the other day. I think it might have been Scott Lease who said, I, I personally feel that you, you absolutely have to care about the problems that you're solving and believe that your company's solution solves it in order to be passionate, uh, uh, in order to be credible, and in order to have that drive. Yeah. I personally believe, yes, 100%. I, I couldn't work in areas where I have zero interest. I, couldn't, I, I just couldn't do it. I just, I just would not thrive in an area where I'm turning up, talking to people that do jobs that I don't care about, and selling solutions to problems I have even less interest in. I, I couldn't do it. I have to passionately believe. So for me, the answer is yes, but I have seen, I didn't go too deeply into it, but I did see Scott um, posting about that he thinks is actually a hindrance. And I get, I guess that's because people then get too passionate and more excited than they're obsessed. Yeah, exactly. I can see if you, if you care more about the problems than the people you're talking to, then you've got a problem because you, you never want to care more about solving it than they do. Yeah. But equally, if you, if you, I mean, I was trying to think of a, something that I could say that doesn't offend people about roles that I wouldn't do, but I can't. So, but <laughs> I just, I just would, would not ever want to go back to doing something that I just didn't really deeply care about because life's too short and sales is too stressful to, and, and then you're almost having to fake interest. And you can see on LinkedIn, people post stuff and you're thinking, how can you spend the time to post that? Because it's not, not a criticism of it, it's just because they've got a job that they clearly don't have any passion for. And, and again, it's that passion that comes across for the people that do post, that do host podcasts, that do, you know, try to better themselves as, as they go. I guess very conscious of time, but last yeah. maybe question or question or two, in scaling that sales team, what, were the, what was the number one attribute that you looked for in an individual? Yeah, that changed over time. And for me, it's genuinely, it is curiosity. Um, because 
if you if you're not curious you don't find out so on a discovery call if you're not if you're not curious you're not going to find out genuinely curious not curious on a checklist but yeah. curiosity and always thinking what does that mean why is that being said what about this what about that it's that almost paranoid curiosity that you need and and the ability to and that curiosity also comes with an ability to ask good meaningful questions that don't sound like a here's my question number six for you um so for me curiosity i i i that is that's the number one it's 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 i think i've got curiosity twice in my i didn't i deliberately kept it in there's a job description which i created curiosity is is part of line one and i think on line four it says it again as part of some other attributes but i thought yeah i'll, I'll keep it in there twice because i like it and is there any interview tip for a for a salesperson um, interviewing with you or, or for, for bigger companies? How do they make themselves stand out in the interview process? Yeah, it's uh, it amazes me how many people don't do enough prep. Um, and I, I find that out very quickly. My quickest interview I've ever done is five minutes. Um, but to me... It, Tell us what you know about main tackle. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, thanks oh, for your time. I didn't. I didn't know I had to. Okay. So for me, it's about not enough people treat the interview process as if it's a sale, which is exactly that's exactly what it is. So treat show through the way that you approach it with your communication before, after, during. You can take. I have. I come with my agenda. But very quickly, people can take that agenda off me and I will let them set the agenda. I will let them run it. I'll let them ask questions. If they don't, they will come and do my, do my agenda. It's just like a normal sale. So for me is treat it like a sale. So do your prep, do your research, come with questions. And it's a two-way street. It always has been. It's never been truer now. But salespeople, good salespeople have so much choice. So... The ones that want to, the ones that do stand out, are the ones who know that they have a choice and they treat it like a normal sales. So they are selling themselves. But what problem do I have that they can help solve? Again, it's it comes back to, you know, you want to find people that will come and make an impact for you, exactly. and, and and candidates are looking for a place where they can go and make an impact. And Absolutely. that doesn't mean they need to be the top salesperson. They want to go somewhere they are passionate about, or you stand for something. You know, I think everybody right now is evaluating their own value proposition um, and, and, and comparing, you know, like for like with lots of similar SaaS businesses uh, or software businesses. And, you know, it has to be, it has to be that two-way street to just say, I will pick from the litter here isn't going to work for, for a lot of people now. So, no, I definitely, I definitely can see that. I think having the kind of a coaching mindset that, that you have you know, just the people that you've brought on, the success that you guys have been on is a testament that you are on an amazing journey, an amazing path. And and again, I'd like to thank you today because you've been an amazing guest uh, as well and definitely someone that my followers should be following on LinkedIn. So, Anthony, thanks for the the, the nuggets of wisdom. Thanks for giving us a little bit on, on your career, um, some of the interview tips. And again, just a little bit on sales readiness and the future of that as well. Thank you very much. Perfect. Cheers, Nicky. Good to speak to you.